Well, that didn't take long. No sooner did the election returns come in with their split verdict, Republicans keep the Senate and get shellacked in the House, that President Trump fires his beleaguered Attorney General Jeff Sessions. The new acting AG, Matt Whitaker, is a Trump loyalist, barely known to anybody in Washington, except for what appears to be his only real qualification for the job. In media appearances last year, he sharply criticized the Mueller investigation. What happens now? We'll discuss on this special constitutional crisis edition of Skullduggery. There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The British government has learned that Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just say Russia yes no is a ruse. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. You know, Danny, this is uh, a episode, we're, we're at a moment here that I think is pretty unprecedented. The president firing his attorney general for the clear purpose of his fury that the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, didn't protect him, didn't have his back in a criminal investigation of his campaign. Well, you know, the phrase that keeps um, ringing in my ears that I think we maybe mentioned on, you know, our first episode of Skullduggery was Trump saying, where's my Roy Cohn? Uh, yeah. Where you know he he, <laughs> he needed. And now he's found him. Now we'll Matt we'll get to Whitt- that. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have uh, Matt Miller on the former yeah. uh, Holder Justice Department uh, uh, Public Affairs uh, you know spokesman, and and we'll talk about that about this guy Matt Whitaker. But you know he wanted an attorney general who was his personal lawyer and his protector, as opposed to someone who would be attorney general for the people of the United States and a protector of the rule of law. And it's interesting because we were talking before that, you know, all of a sudden Jeff Sessions has become this kind of martyr of the liberals. Right. As you put it. Yeah. And uh, how, how ironic is that? Uh, you know, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, a, a you know, as conservative an attorney general, probably as we've seen since what Ed Meese maybe is the only guy you can think of in the same category. A guy who couldn't, you know, Sessions couldn't even get confirmed, you know, a couple of decades ago for a uh, federal judgeship because of concerns about his uh, racial animus uh, towards African Americans. A guy who the ACLU today declared to be the worst attorney general in American history, a guy who Democrats a year ago were calling on to resign because of allegations that he lied to the Senate about his own contacts with the Russian ambassador during the campaign. And now his firing has produced um, this, you know, cries of outrage 
about what Trump is is trying to do here. Um, yeah, look, the, the uh, d- Democrats and liberals couldn't stand Jeff Sessions' policy positions. Also, the fact that he actually was fairly effective at implementing them, probably the most effective cabinet secretary Donald Trump had, which is another irony. But the thing to remember about Sessions is, look, he did recuse himself. He did listen to the ethics lawyers at the Justice Department. Jeff Sessions, unlike his former boss, uh, is an institutionalist. This is someone who was a U.S. attorney who had kind of grown up in some ways in the Justice Department. And whether you like him or not, whether you like his policies or not, ultimately, he did believe in the rule of law. And so that put him in conflict with Donald Trump. Um, And the, the original sin was recusing himself. Everything flowed from that. Yeah. And and, and look, I I mean, you know, it's a pretty low bar there. You know, yes, he's a former U.S. attorney and U.S. senator who basically accepted that, yeah, we do have a legal process in this country. We have laws. We have traditions. uh, You can't. Well, these days, these these days, that's pretty good in Washington. (laughs) And, and, you know, I got to say, Whitaker, uh, who, as I said in the cold open, somebody, you know, who nobody has ever heard of probably until this week, uh, does have some pretty strange views out there uh, when you talk about the rule of law. Back when he ran for the Senate, I think it was in 2004, he expressed uh, reservations about Marbury versus Madison. I know. This is amazing. Decision. That's sort of the basic Supreme Court ruling that uh, says, you know, that, that, that institutionalized judicial review, that if the Congress or the president violate the Constitution, the Supreme Courts can blow the whistle and say, no, you can't do that. Well, we need, yeah, we the, need to get Matt, into this. Matt Whitaker seems to have some questions about whether, uh, about the validity of that basic core Supreme Court decision. We need to get into this with Matt Miller when he comes on. But yeah, that is the foundation of American constitutional law. And he is yeah. now the acting attorney general whose responsibility is to enforce American law. So it's going to be an interesting uh, little while. We'll see whether he ends up being nominated to be the permanent attorney general and whether he can get through the Senate, although that'll be easier now with uh, um, since the midterm elections and the Republicans. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. This uh, this op-ed by Neil Cachel and George Conway uh, is pretty interesting, well, suggesting his appointments uh, unconstitutional. But let's get to uh, Miller. I think he's waiting to talk to us. Yep. We've now got um, uh, Matt Miller, uh, former uh, public affairs guy for the Justice Department who's uh, never lacking anything to say. And, skull, and, and skullduggery veteran. Four, right. four times, five times? Uh, unavoidable for comment, I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> we may give you a T-shirt, for a uh, skullduggery T-shirt, for being the, the record yeah. holder in appearances. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Miller, what do, you, uh, what do you make of this? How, how serious a constitutional crisis, if that's what it is, are we in right now? So I don't think we're in a constitutional crisis, but it's certainly a crisis for the Department of Justice and I think potentially a crisis for the Mueller investigation. And I I have felt like over the last 24 hours, the world and some of the press and people on the Hill aren't really taking it seriously enough. I mean, if if you go back to 
when Trump fired Jim Comey, everyone treated it initially like the Saturday Night Massacre. And in that case, Trump, I think, you know, wanted to interfere with the investigation and he wanted to get rid of Comey, obviously, partly out of peak, I think. But he didn't really have a plan to do it. And this time, um, it seems like he does have a plan to at least, you know, if not, I don't think he's going to, I don't think uh, Mark, Matt Whitaker is going to fire Mueller, but um, Trump now has a way to actually reach into the investigation and kind of interfere with its with its progress. Well, but Matt Whitaker, he understood from the beginning that firing Mueller probably wasn't an option. So he had, you know, on, you know, going on CNN uh, in you know, media appearances, he kind of laid out a plan to, you know, basically neutralize him uh, in his investigation without firing him, which would have been a bridge too far. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, the the thing that is so amazing about this is how brazen it is. Um, I, I was just thinking about this. Imagine if uh, like a month before the end or two months before the end of the Clinton email investigation, if President Obama had fired Loretta Lynch and replaced her with, I don't know, Lanny Davis or some other person who had been on who had, who had been on television saying there. Hillary Clinton never Hillary Clinton never committed a crime. Another skullduggery um, guest by the way. Yeah. There there you go. I mean it would be absurd and it would be such a dramatic act ever the, the entire country would have revolted and Democrats would have revolted and said well this is obviously you know ridiculous you can't do this. But we we are in this classic, you know, frog in the boiling pot of water. Trump has been turning the 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 temperature up for so long. He has interfered with DOJ so many times now, people have gotten accustomed to it, that when he finally takes this step where he can actually potentially mess with the investigation in a way that protects him or protects his son or protects people around him, and I just don't feel like it's, people are treating it with the seriousness it deserves. It's like a dog well, yeah, dog, dog bites man story. There's just no one yeah. surprised. Everyone was yeah. expecting this. In fact, in fact, Isakoff, right. uh, Isakoff on uh, Skullduggery just a couple of weeks ago, uh, predicted that it would happen. This is exactly what would happen. Right after the election, I said. Yeah. 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 He, he'd, that, fire, that. Um, he'd fire Sessions. I also said he could fire Rosenstein as well, which he does not seem to have done. But Rosenstein is now irrelevant, right? Because Mueller now has to report to Whitaker, not Rosenstein. Uh, and that, that gives Whitaker, a, a staunch Trump loyalist, complete visibility into everything that Mueller is up to what he's planning, what further indictments, if any, he's got, what he's going to say in his report. Whitaker will have total access to that and can share that to the, with the White House if he so chooses, if he's asked, which I imagine he would be. Yeah, look, I think um, Matt Whitaker clearly is in control of this now, provided he doesn't recuse himself, which I, there's a, a very strong argument that he needs to. And I suspect when he meets with career ethics officials in the coming days, which he's required to do in a case like this, um, based on the questions about his impartiality, I suspect he'll get a recommendation to um, recuse himself. Okay, and but if he ignores, Matt, if he on that point, that's kind of, it's sort of irrelevant because but, you know the premise of his, the, the whole reason that he was right. that he was hired was because Trump was apoplectic that Sessions recused himself, and so there's no chance in the world that. Before hiring him, Trump didn't say to him, well, you're not going to recuse yourself, are you? So he has to have already promised the president that he wouldn't do that. I, 
I, I think that's absolutely right. But I will say it becomes different as a political matter if there is a recommendation from career DOJ officials that he ought to recuse, and that's known publicly, and I think it will become known publicly. Uh, the, it, it does change the political calculus somewhat. And I wanted to, to mention, Mike, in framing this question, said Rod Rosenstein is irrelevant now. And look, if Whitaker gets full control of this investigation, I think that's largely true. But I think Rod still has a few cards left to play. I think he Such can play as. a role. So, for example, on the question of recusal, there is the question of whether he can be impartial given all his public comments and whether the world can view him as partial, impartial because of his public comments. And then there's a question about whether he can, and this one is a much is is less a question of appearance and more a hard, bright line potentially, whether because of his relationship with Sam Clovis, whose campaign he chaired in Iowa several years ago, and who texted him yesterday, congratulations, Clovis texted this to Whitaker apparently, according to Clovis, whether his relationship with him, he can he can supervise the investigation. Sam Clovis is a witness; he's been into the grand jury, and the the technical language in the the regulations is. You know, you, if you have a relationship with someone who, you know, is substantially involved or whose conduct is substantially involved in, in the investigation, and the ethics officials don't know Sam Clovis's position in the investigation, they're going to have to ask somebody. And the person they'll ask is Rod Rosenstein. And so if you're Rod Rosenstein and you're someone who's committed to the rule of law and you've sat and watched Matt Whitaker over the last year, I can't think he thinks very highly of him. I can't think he thinks very highly of this uh, attempt by the president to get control of the investigation. And I could see him weighing in there, and I could see him weighing in a bunch of of other ways. I could see him talking to people on the Hill. I could see him talking to reporters. And, of course, eventually he has the biggest card to play at all, which is if he were willing to resign and and walk out and and make noise. I don't know if he'll do any of that, but Rod still has a number of cards to play. Matt, do you you think that uh, Rosenstein has done anything to sort of protect the integrity of the Mueller investigation. In other words, Mueller and Rosenstein have both known for a long time that this moment could and likely would be coming. So were there things that they could do to try to, you know, insulate uh, Mueller from what I think a lot of people expect might happen now, which is that that Whitaker is going to try to uh, rein in uh, Mueller's investigation, if not outright fire him? Yeah, I suspect they've always had plans for the worst. I've always thought that all of the evidence that Mueller has gathered, there's probably a copy of it somewhere outside of his office, maybe maybe with the chief judge uh, uh, for the circuit court in D.C., you know, with a federal judge. So if if he was fired and and FBI agents came in and tried to seize the evidence, which is what happened, of course, in Watergate, it's attempted, that could be blocked. And I would think in this case, there are a couple things they could have done. One, there could be indictments that they've returned uh, or that the grand jury has returned already that are under seal, uh, you know, say against Donald Trump Jr. or Roger Stone or any other number of figures. And if that's the case, <laughs> I, I don't see Matt Whitaker you know, ordering Mueller to move to dismiss those indictments, and I can't believe he'd follow out that order. So that's one thing. It's possible that their indictment's ready to go, and uh, they've already been authorized by Rosenstein. And to, to pull that back would be a pretty dramatic step as well. The place can, where can I, I keep just, thinking, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, look, we uh, being sort of, you know, Washington inside the Beltway types uh, do obsess on these violation of norms and traditions. Um, but at the end of the day, they really are sort of not to diminish them in the least, but they're procedural questions. I think the ultimate verdict on all of this 
is going to depend on exactly what the evidence is. Does Mueller really have something that goes to the question of collusion, that goes to the question of principles such as the president or his son or others who have lied under oath about key core questions relating to the Trump campaign's ties to Russia? And there's a lot of hints out there about uh, the uh, gathering storm in the uh, closing in on Roger Stone, uh, you know, reports today about Stone, Mueller asking for contacts that uh, records of any contacts that Stone had with Trump himself, phone calls, visits to Trump Tower. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, that's what's going to count here. And I do have to say, you know, as somebody uh, who has followed this very closely from the uh, from the get go, there is a lot of smoke, a lot of reasons to be deeply suspicious. But we still don't really know what Mueller has got. Yeah, for sure. And look, if he doesn't have anything, there's nothing to worry about in terms of Whitaker shutting down because there's nothing to shut down. So if that's the case, I don't you know, I don't think we do much have to worry but I do think there's one question about what the evidence is, and the second question is whether the American people can ever see it. And I am pretty confident that Mueller would have a plan with anything that relates to this collusion side of the equation. Where I worry most, however, is on the obstruction of justice investigation. You know, he's conducted that investigation differently. As far as we know, he's been interviewing witnesses but not taking them into the grand jury. All these White House staffers who he's interviewed, there have been no reports of any of them going to the grand jury, probably because he doesn't think that's a case that can ever be indicted because you can't indict a sitting president, according to, to, to DOJ. And so if he reaches a conclusion the president broke a, the law in obstructing justice, the only way he can make that known to the American public that I can think of is in a report that either goes to Congress or that he releases publicly. It won't be a grand jury indictment. And so that is something that that, that report, if it's written already, obviously isn't public yet. And that is something where Whitaker could just directly – you know, intervene and say, I'm not authorizing this to be released or referred. I'm putting it in a drawer. And there's nothing Mueller could do about it. Well, he, but that's where Congress comes in, right? That's where a Democratic House with investigative authority and subpoena power comes in because Jerry Nadler, who will be the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, could subpoena that report, right? And subpoena Mueller. He could subpoena that report and DOJ could fight it and it would be litigated in a district court and taken to the Court of Appeals and probably ultimately the Supreme Court. And we'd be talking about this for a year and a half, maybe two years right. before we ever saw right. the report. And just to follow up on that, there is a huge issue about that that I don't think enough people have focused on, which is that my understanding and reporting is that much of the evidence that Mueller has gathered in the course of that obstruction investigation from Don McGahn and other White House aides was given to Mueller under the understanding that the White House was reserving the right to invoke executive privilege on anything that Mueller might want to share, uh, either in a public report or to Congress, and that whatever Mueller has learned from, say, the testimony of Don McGahn, who spent hours providing testimony to, um, to Mueller, it was all under explicit agreement that the White House could, down the road, invoke executive privilege if Mueller wanted to use that in a report. So what we could spend the much of the rest of the of 
next year talking about is uh, a fight over executive privilege, the White House invoking executive privilege that ensures that whatever Nadler subpoenas at the, uh, at the House Judiciary Committee is redacted because the White House has uh, invoked the privilege. And, um, you know, that does become a legal question that ultimately goes to the Supreme Court. Well, uh, yeah, well, I think you're right. No, I've been worried about that exact same question, and it could delay things for a long time. Well, and we know um, where Matt Whitaker uh, would be on this issue since we talked uh, in the intro about how he believes that uh, Marbury versus Madison, the uh, you know foundational <laughs> constitutional decision, which allows the the Supreme Court to review. Uh, the other you know branches of government and that he believes that was wrongly decided by the way John Marshall will be turning over in his grave before this is done yeah and by the uh, <laughs> by the way I, I think the justices relied on uh, Marbury versus Madison um, in uh, their unanimous decision which we've talked to a lot on this podcast uh, United States versus Nixon so uh, I guess it's maybe not that surprising that Whitaker <laughs> would yeah. would be critical of that uh, hey, one, foundational one final, decision. One final question for Matt before he goes is, uh, what did you make of the uh, Neil Kajay and George Conway uh, op-ed in the New York Times saying <laughs> Whitaker's appointment is unconstitutional? I look, I think that's a fascinating uh, legal debate. And there are a number of questions like this about, you know, there's one about is the Voting Rights Act a controlling statute or is the DOJ secession statute the controlling statute? And those are great academic debates. In reality, I don't think they make much difference. To, to challenge his appointment under the theory they laid out, you'd have to find someone withstanding. And they'd have to litigate it, and it'd have to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And it almost certainly would be decided long after his tenure as acting attorney general has expired and long after he's done anything he wants to do to interfere with the Mueller report. So it seems like more of an academic question to me. Not to take that as criticism, as my former colleague you know, caught y'all, but it does seem a little esoteric. Well, it's always interesting when uh, George Conway, the uh, husband of Kellyanne Conway, (laughs) (laughs) writes these pieces criticizing um, the president of the United States. So there's that. The gossipy angle of it in some ways much more interesting. I try to think about what would happen if I did that to my wife when I come home, too. It would not not be pretty. I guess it's an open marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Open ideologically. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, enjoy your uh, trip overseas or, you know, wherever you're uh, off to. And um, I I can assure you these uh, issues will be live when you get back and uh, you'll make yet another appearance on Skullduggery. And uh, have some good meals. Miller is a foodie and we we bond over good food. So I want to I I want detailed accounts. I have a number of reservations just just waiting for me. So thanks. Enjoy. Thanks for having me. Always fun. Okay, take care. So Isakoff, Matt Miller, always good on, on these issues, um, knows the law, although he's not a lawyer, but knows the kind of intersection of law, scandal, and politics, which is yeah. kind of where we, where, in, uh, where we know, live. It, polar opposite from Matt Whitaker, who is a lawyer but doesn't yeah. seem to know the law. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. At the outset, in your intro, uh, you, you talked about this being a constitutional crisis, which um, Miller said he didn't think we were there yet. But but uh, Jerry Nadler, who will be the uh, uh, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, he put out a statement yesterday. He he said the firing of Sessions is uh, is a constitutionally perilous moment was how he put it. 
But this, this is what he says. He says, there is no mistaking what this means and what is at stake in this constitutionally perilous moment for our country and for the president. Donald Trump may think he has the power to hire and fire whomever he pleases, but he cannot take such action if it is determined that it is for the purposes of subverting the rule of law and obstructing justice. If he abuses his office in such a fashion, there will be consequences. I think they're going to really investigate the firing of Sessions very aggressively. And I think that, you know, if they find out that there was corrupt, is there's evidence of corrupt intent, um, I think uh, it is more likely than not that they will start to pursue a, uh, a more kind of full-throated impeachment investigation. Well, uh, you know, we were just uh, talking yesterday about how impeachment was uh, likely off the table because of the results in the Senate. Um, But, uh, you know, maybe we were wrong or maybe I was wrong when I said that because, you know, this does push it back on the table. I should uh, add that um, somebody just found uh, some audio from uh, Matt Whitaker last year talking about this investigation. And um, I'll just uh, give you another quote that's worth pondering. This is Whitaker in some media appearance when he was running some sort of conservative outfit that was quite critical of the um, of the Mueller investigation and was also calling for uh, a reopening of the Hillary Clinton email investigation. And Whitaker said the following, quote, the left is trying to sow this theory that essentially Russians interfered with the U.S. election, which has been proven false. They did not have any impact in the election. That is clear from Obama administration. So let's remember, Mueller has already brought indictments, making it crystal clear that the Russians did interfere in the U.S. election. They did uh, hack the emails of the DNC. They did provide them to WikiLeaks. They did hack the uh, Podesta emails. They did provide them to uh, WikiLeaks. So, uh, you know, it is pretty crystal clear from the indictments Mueller has already brought that the Russians did precisely what Mueller's new boss, Matt Whitaker, says they did not. So that's a kind of a sobering comment to think about when we process what Matt Whitaker is going to do overseeing the Mueller investigation. I would love to be a fly on the wall for those first conversations that Whitaker has with with Mueller because they'll have to talk at some point. Uh, Just a coda to our last episode uh, that I want to bring up quickly. We talked about you know, one of the consequences of this big win in the Senate for Republicans is that uh, if there is a another Supreme Court vacancy, they will almost certainly be able to confirm a very conservative Supreme Court justice, adding one more uh, to the to the court and, and you know, kind of uh, really altering the ideological balance for a very long time. Well, there was news uh, this week that Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg fell and broke three ribs. We don't know exactly what her condition is. You know, at her age, I think she's 85 years old, that can lead to other complications. We certainly hope that's not the case. And I will say that she is she is one uh, strong cookie, or justice, I guess I should say. She, she's uh, been she's, through a lot. She's survived two bouts of cancer. It just goes to show you that, um, you know, there's a lot that hangs in the balance here. And uh, these, these are perilous times in a lot of ways. Yes, they are. And we'll be discussing them regularly on Skullduggery. 
Thanks to Matt Miller for joining us on this special episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on Sirius XM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. And be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. We'll talk to you next week.